All right. Good morning, everyone. All right. Great to have you here this morning. I uh, just want to join our hearts together in our season of praise and time in God's Word this morning for the encouragement of our hearts and the glory of God. A couple of announcements that we want you to be aware of. Next Sunday morning is our baptism service, and that will start at 1030 next Sunday morning. So we hope that you can be with us for that time of celebration. Uh, Today, after the service, if you're new to the church and have never attended one of our newcomers' luncheons, we're going to be having that today, immediately following the service, and that will be, you just go out the main doors and move to your left. There's a classroom down there. We'll be sharing lunch with you, and then Pastor James will be giving a summary of uh, what our church family is about, and uh, just give you an opportunity to ask questions that you might have of us. The other uh, event that is coming up next Saturday morning is the Ladies' Fall Brunch. There's a sign-up table out uh, in the middle. When you come in, you see a table with some signs on it, various things that are coming up. Just want you to be aware of those things. And also, when you leave or when you come in, there's an information sheet that's on the table right out front. So just make sure you grab that so that you're aware of the various things that are happening here at the chapel during the week. Okay? The one ministry I did want to just quick highlight that we do on, a, on an annual basis, uh, Fran Pilch and uh, Laura Mack lead a grief share group, and they have anywhere between 10 to 15 people coming on a weekly basis, and they would love to know that you are praying for them as they serve uh, that particular segment of our population that is working through uh, seasons of grief. So we really want to encourage you to be praying for them. They're here, I think it's uh, Tuesday nights every week. Uh, serving and ministering to people that have walked through some really difficult circumstances. So we want to remind you of that. Psalm 34 says this. It says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. And then this is the invitation. Glorify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I want to ask you to stand with us this morning as I lead us in prayer. Um, actually, Carmel, let me, why don't you come real quick? Just stay right where you are, okay? <laughs> quick announcement. I forgot about this. All right. Hi, everybody. Um, I just have an announcement about the worship team. We're having auditions uh, soon. Um, you should have seen some information in an email come out last week from Dave Mercer about having our auditions. They're going to be on November 3rd specifically. We'd like sign-ups if you're interested in signing up to audition Sign up by next Sunday evening. You can sign up on a clipboard that is back at the sound booth that you can go see. Anybody back there will give you the clipboard. You can also email me. My email is in the email that you got, if that makes sense. Um, so you can uh, you know, let me know if you're, if you're interested at that point. After we get the list of people who are interested, we then go through and think through who, like what positions we're looking for help in necessarily, specifically, you know, um, and then we'll contact you about when... Uh, if we would like you to audition and what the information is and what you're auditioning, what parts, we'll send you the music, et cetera, et cetera. So that's by next Sunday, the 24th, and then the audition will be on um, the evening of November 3rd. If you need more information, just come speak with me too. I can, I can help you out. Okay, thank you. All right. Thank you, Carmela. We're blessed uh, with this is a great ministry leader with our worship team, so we're very thankful for that. Uh, let's pray together and uh, ask for God's blessing on our time. Father, we thank you for... Uh, the privilege that we do have to come and to exalt your name together. Uh, Lord, forgive us for the times when we come in and we are simply uh, 
observing ceremony. We're observing ritual. We're doing what we do on a weekly basis, God. Open by your spirit, open our eyes to the glorious truth that we proclaim in song. And God, let, let our singing not merely be words. Let it be ministry to our souls by your spirit. Uh, Father, this morning as we pray before you, we think of Diana Kelly. We love her. Uh, we thank you for, for her life. And we thank you for the things that you've done through her. We are, are so grateful for the ministry that you've been giving her in this season of struggle. We join with her in her desire to experience a deeper sense of joy uh, in the midst of the struggle, which has been long. And, and Lord, I'm sure there isn't one of us in this room that doesn't understand that <clears throat> fight for joy. Uh, so, Father, we pray that you would give her that gift. We pray that the testing that comes up very shortly uh, will yield results that will give us an opportunity to praise and to glorify your name. God, we just simply say this, Lord, we trust you with Diana's life. Our <clears throat> continued prayer has been for her healing. And we we... We recommit ourselves to that uh, truth, to that claim that, God, in your name, we are simply asking that you would raise this dear lady up for your glory, God. That's what we desire to see. <clears throat> and we know that we serve a God who is able to do more than we would ever ask or think. So on her behalf, on behalf of their family, Victor, the kids, Father, favor, I pray over them. And ultimately, I pray that there would be mingled in all of the struggle a deep abiding sense of joy that glorifies you in the midst of our pain and struggles. Bless our worship this morning, Lord. Help us to engage, to join in, to serve one another in singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts before you. Reach us here today, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's worship. everyone would you sing with us who breaks the power of sin and darkness who breaks the power of sin and darkness whose love is mighty and so much stronger the king of glory the king above all kings who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless in awe and wonder. The King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. you've done for me. Who brings, who brings our chaos back into order, who makes the orphan a son and daughter, the king of glory, the king above all kings. 
And who rules? Who rules the nations with truth and justice? Shines like the sun in all of its brilliance. The King of glory, the King of global kings. This is amazing praise. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross, you would lay down your life, that I would be set free, oh Jesus I sing for all that you've done for me. Let's sing worthy as a lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, and worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, and worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Oh, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love, that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross, you would lay down your life, that I would be set free, oh Jesus I sing for all that you've done for me. This is amazing grace, this is unfailing love, that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross, you would lay down your life, that I would be set free. Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Yes, Lord, we praise you this morning. We have a new song this morning I'm going to teach you. We'll sing verse 1 and chorus 1 together, and then the band will come in. Let's sing verse 1. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only 
confidence that our souls to Him belong, who holds our days within His hand, what comes apart from His command, and what will keep us to the end, the love of Christ in which we stand. Oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah, now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. In verse 1, what is our hope? What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls to Him belong? Who holds our days within His hand? What comes apart? from his command and what will keep us to the end the love of Christ in which we stand oh sing hallelujah our hope springs eternal oh sing our hope in life and end. What truth, what truth can calm the troubled soul? God is good, God is good. Where is His grace and goodness now? In our great Redeemer's blood, Sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah, now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. Unto the grave, unto the grave. What will we sing? Christ he lives, Christ he lives, and what reward will heaven bring? An everlasting life with him, there we will rise to meet the Lord. 
will be destroyed and we will feast in endless joy when Christ is ours forevermore. Oh, sing hallelujah, our hopes reigns eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah, now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. Oh, sing hallelujah. Sing our Father everlasting. Our Father everlasting, the all creating one, God Almighty. Through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son. Jesus, our Savior, I believe in God, our Father, I believe in Christ, the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one, I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again, for I believe in the our judge, our judge and our defender suffered and crucified. Forgiveness is in you. Descended into darkness, you rose in glorious light, forever seated high. I believe, I believe in God our Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one. 
simple statement of all these things that we believe in, but it's a story, Lord, of your mercy and grace that you've given to us, that as a free gift, we do nothing to earn it, we can do nothing to obtain it, except to just simply believe, and then from there, God, you have taken our lives and you're moving us on a different path, that doesn't mean trials won't come, that doesn't mean hurt doesn't still exist. But there is hope. We sang that song, Christ our hope in life and death. The greatest thing that we are afraid of, Lord, that everyone is afraid of on this planet is what happens when I die. <laughs> and even as Christians, we're afraid of that. But we have this hope, Lord, that we know that when I die, I don't just die. I fall asleep in Christ and I wake up and I see him. And if we just believe, believe the story, and ask him to be our savior, Lord. You change our lives completely. There is hope in this world, and it is found in only one person, and that is Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for this time of worship. We ask now that you'd help us to continue to worship as we hear your word. And please be with Pastor James as he speaks to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, children, you could be dismissed for junior church. And just for the rest of you, just um, just a reminder, there are some announcement sheets in the back. 
If you didn't get one, grab one later. That would be helpful to you as you move forward. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 12? I'm going to camp on one verse this morning. I know that as we've been going through our Proverbs series, we have been uh, going through a myriad of verses, and I'm just going to camp on one verse, particularly today, Proverbs 12, 25. There will be other places that we'll venture in the scriptures. Proverbs 12, 25 says this, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. But a good word makes him glad. Let me say that again. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. I probably am not going to have to spend much time convincing you of the first part of that verse, that anxiety weighs us down. I may have to really do some work to convince you that a good word can make you glad, but I believe it is the absolute truth, and we're going to talk this morning about that. So would you pray with me? So Lord, even as I read that verse this morning, there are some here that are heavy in heart. Father, they they find themselves despondent fearful, insecure, questioning, doubting, distressed. Father, so many words, so many adjectives could describe how so many people are feeling today. We sit in a church and we come here, Lord, and we put on the Sunday smile. We say everything's okay, but then we walk out the doors and the heaviness of our hearts is there. Father, I pray that we would hear your son's precious promise to come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus promised to give us rest, so I pray that this morning, more than just laws, more than just rules, more than just standards that feel like a heavy weight upon us, help us to see the beauty of the gospel that it is done that Christ is at work in our hearts. Your Holy Spirit is working through our hearts to bring us to the gladness that we have in the miseries of this life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, when you, when you think of the humbling um, of the struggles that we have, there's a heaviness of heart that so many of us have. And it's a prolonged condition of this life, that you live this side of heaven and you are going to struggle. Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles and trials. Jesus was confirming to us, not what you're going to hear from some pulpits today. You'll hear from some pulpits today that life is happy, it's clappy, everything is great and wonderful. And that if you're going through troubles and trials, there's something wrong with your faith. Well, Scripture clearly tells us that the greatest person of faith, the greatest man that walked on this earth, was a man of suffering and a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. So if Jesus Christ, the perfect one, can come into this world and suffer, you and I, as fallen human beings, will suffer as well. We have a fallen nature which corrupts us, and we have a, live in a fallen world that is around us. And it, it leads to this prolonged level of anxiety that is here. It's interesting that uh, one version actually says here that it causes the heart to stoop. 
that the person actually is bent down. And maybe that's the way you feel when you go through struggles and trials. You find yourself so overwhelmed with the pressure that it presses you down and you find yourself so disoriented. You are cast down. You are discouraged. You are losing heart. There's a rottenness that is in your bones. Maybe that's you today. You know, psychologists and counselors will tell you that most of this is because of things that are happening around you or biological things that are happening within you. And they do bring some information to the poor. But the Bible tells us the vast majority of the reason why you are the way you are is because of what's going on inside of you and inside of what you think, what you cast your vision on. Not that we don't have physical things that we go through and not that there aren't environmental and social things that we struggle with, but the Bible's prescription for your joy is constantly taking you vertically, away from the earthly, away from the horizontal, to the vertical, to the, heart, to the eternal work of God. So what psychologists and counselors can do is they can offer you some temporary measures to feel a little better, to help you to cope with the world that's around. But I want to see more than just coping. Scripture talks about a cure. Scripture talks about the fact that you can have gladness, that you can have hope, that you can have a contentment and peace. One of my favorite quotes is by this man, Jeremiah Burroughs, and he wrote a book years ago, I mean, a lot of years ago, and it was called The Secret, I'm sorry, The Secret of Contentment, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And in the, in, he has a quote in there, and he defined contentment this way. He said, Christian contentment is sweet, it's inward, gracious frame of spirit that freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. I'll send it out to you this week. Christian contentment is sweet. There's so much bitterness that is happening in our world. It's sweet. Christian contentment is inward. It's not based on what's happening around you. It is based on what is happening within you because of what God is doing in you. Christian contentment is sweet. It is inward. It is the gracious frame of spirit. It is a mindset. It is a heart set that is fueled by the gospel, fueled by grace, fueled by the hope that God has given us in Christ. Christian contentment is sweet, it's inward, it is a gracious frame of spirit that freely submits to. That means I submit to your way, God. God, you have chosen that I'm going to go down a path of struggle. I submit to it. I'm going to go through a path of pain. I submit to it. My family's going to struggle. I submit to it. I freely submit to it. But then here's the issue. I delight in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. See, the anxious heart is the one that finds themselves getting so caught up in the things around them and are missing the sweetness, missing the inner work of the Holy Spirit, missing the grace in the gospel, missing the fact that God is sovereign and he's in control, and missing the fact that we are called to delight in God in the midst of all these troubles and trials. Well, James, that sounds great, but I just don't experience that, I know. (laughs) I struggle with it as well. So this morning, I want to look at this passage from four lenses. First, I want to look at the problem of a heavy heart. I want us to see that a heavy heart is there for all of us, and we are going to struggle with it. Some of us are going to struggle much more than others. So we're going to look at the problem of a heavy heart. The second thing we're going to look at this morning is the perspective of a heavy heart. 
that the person that has a heavy heart has a specific perspective. They see life in a certain way. We're going to challenge the way they see it with God's words. So there's the problem of a heavy heart, the perspective of a heavy heart. Then I want you to hear the precious promises from God's word for those that are heavy in heart. I want to give you what Scripture tells you about what God has promised you if you are in Christ, that he wants to comfort you and challenge you and lift you up. The problem of a heavy heart, the perspective of a heavy heart, the precious promises to a heavy heart, and then I want to give you a prescription, just some bullet point practical steps that I think you can do to deal with it. So let's deal with the problem first. It says anxiety in a heart weighs a person down. So some of you have been diagnosed by a counselor or a psychologist or a doctor with anxiety or some type of struggle that is there. And when we look at anxiety, it, we can break it down into like three components. There is a fear component where there is a specific dread over something that is happening in our life, some perceived threat that's in our lives, and we find ourselves fearing We'll talk more about that as we move forward. So it's this emotion of alarm, and it comes from a perceived threat. That's fear. Anxiety is a little bit different because anxiety is a more general state of long-term uneasiness. This thing that seems like it's there. It's not a perceived threat that I can grab onto. It's just I walk through life day after day just feeling a sense of uneasiness, a vague sense of perception that just won't seem to go away. I just don't feel at peace. Maybe you feel that way. So there is fear, there's anxiety, and those two are emotions, but then there's worry. Worry is the mindset. It's not really an emotion. Worry is this mental action. It brings up your fears and constantly mulling over them, contemplating the worst-case scenario, and maybe that's you. So you find yourself fearing something that's threatening right now, or, or you have this general level of anxiety of your heart, or maybe you just have this worrying component. Maybe some doctor has told you that you have a phobia or um, panic attacks or obsessive-compulsive disorders or acute stress disorders, uh, post-traumatic stress disorders, a, a list of all of these anxieties that you may find yourself diagnosed with. And once again, what the world does is oftentimes they will look at characteristics that we have in life and they will be able to label them. And so you can see some of those labels. What I believe that the world doesn't do, and Scripture tells us clearly, is that they can't get you to the real cure. They can't get you the real cause of why you're having the problems. They can't get you the real cure. They may be able to give you some perspectives of characteristics. What we do find is this. There's this pattern, and maybe you've seen it in your life, I've seen it in mine, that when you fear something, you then try to control something. So if I'm fearing rejection from you, then I'm going to try to control you. And if I'm fearing that you're going to leave me, I'm going to try to control you. Fear leads to control. But the problem is, is that the more I tend to control, the more I find that the thing that I want desperately is not there for me. They're leaving me. They're, they're rejecting me. They're turning away from me because I'm trying to control them. That fear leads to control. The control will eventually lead to anger in your life. And the anger is going to be turned outward towards others or inward towards yourself. And that's going to lead to depression and despair. Anxiety in a person's heart weighs them down. And it's not just the anxiety. He talks here about weighed down. That's depression. Depression is kind of like that dark night of the soul for some of you. You know, as you're sitting there, maybe you've been diagnosed with some type of depression. 
and you have this depressed mood day after day, and you find yourself overwhelmed, and you lack interest in life. You know, the things that you really were excited about before, now they're gone. I just don't feel any joy in doing those. Maybe you've gained a lot of weight. Maybe you've lost a lot of weight. I don't know. Maybe you struggle with sleep, or maybe you sleep too much, or you sleep too little. Maybe you've lost energy. Maybe you feel hopeless or worthless. I don't know if that sounds like you. Unfortunately, that's many of, many of us who have gone through this. You know, for some of us, as we go through depressive times, we just can't think clearly. We can't concentrate. We're sitting in a 30 or 40 minute sermon and we just can't seem to concentrate. We open the Bible and it's just, I can't see it. I can't, I can't connect with it. And that struggle with depression leads to struggles in our lives. Now, what the world tends to do is this. They take that anxiety and that depression, and some of us will try to fix it in certain ways. And, and for some of us, they'll say, I just got to get out of here. I need to leave. Like the prodigal son did, right? As the prodigal son was there in his home, and he looked in his home, and he says, I just got to get away from this family. Then I'll be happy. Maybe that's you. Maybe you have a tendency just to run in your fears or run in your anxieties or run in your depression, but just getting out of here doesn't change the fact that you're bringing you wherever you go. That's a problem. Some people believe that the answer to their problem is deep in their past, so what they're going to do is they're going to find a counselor that's going to dig up every little thing in their past, every pain, every trouble, and they will uncover it constantly. And inevitably what happens is this, as I constantly go back and look at all those struggles in my past, it leads to greater pain and leads to a great, greater disappointment. The answer is not found in the pains of my past, but some will believe that you need to do that. Some will tell you that the answer is deep within you, so you need to go deep in your heart. There are some counselors that will say, I won't direct you at all. I'm just going to love you through this and that you have the answer to your greatest problem within you. Baloney. I guess I could be even harsher than that. <laughs> Jeremiah 17 says our hearts are deceptive and desperately sick. The answer is not within me. So it's not from running away. The answer is not from digging into my past. The answer is not from getting the answer deep within me. The answer is not becoming dependent on another person either. Some people find themselves dependent on counselors or pastors or churches and they get so dependent on that person that they have no connection with God. It becomes a horizontal connection with a human being. That's a problem. Some people need, believe that they need to just get more information. If they can get more information, then everything will be great. Another book, another study, another class that they will eventually finally find themselves free. So James, is, is anxiety and depression just a modern thing? No, it's not. Elijah. Elijah had an amazing victory at Mount Carmel. Amazing victory. God poured fire down from heaven and wiped up the sacrifice. Unlike any of their other perceived gods, he showed himself to be God. And immediately after that incredible victory, Jezebel says to him, I'm going to kill you. And how did he react? He reacted to that threat with anxiety, fear. He was fearing for his own life. And then he gave into despair, anxiety and depression, those two things going together, even after a great victory. I don't know if Tim struggles with this. I do, and I've battled with this. After a sermon, 
I don't know, there is like the spiritual battle that happens with me. Sometimes I could just feel myself just weighed down afterwards. Because I think there's an attack, even before a sermon or after a sermon. Why? Because that is, you have an evil one that is out there looking to attack you. And even after this great victory with Elijah, he found himself weighed down. First Kings chapter 19. David had committed sin with Bathsheba. You remember that. He failed to repent and he lost hope. Psalm 38. Jonah was displeased with God's sovereign work in Nineveh's life. He was so angry with God. And what did he do? He wanted to die. Peter, on the night that Christ was betrayed, he lied, he cursed, he denied Christ, and he was despondent afterwards. Jo- Josh, I'm sorry, Judas betrayed Jesus, felt remorse, but it was a self-focused remorse. Tried to fix it by throwing the uh, coins back, but he hadn't changed in his heart, and he ended up taking his own life. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. So, does that sound like you in any way? The problem of a heavy heart is heavy for us. The, the cast down, the disappointments, the bad news, the sin, all of those struggles, it weighs us down. So whether you're anxious or depressed, I know I'm speaking to people that struggle with it. I have personally struggled with it. So what's the prescription? The pers- I'm sorry, the perspective. I want you to think about the human heart. It says anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. I want you to think about the human heart. The human heart is interesting because whatever rules your heart rules you. Life can be full of suffering. Life can be full of trials. Life can be full of troubles. But it is not the suffering that you're enduring that controls you. What controls you is what's happening within you, your heart. You know, the world tells us the heart is just basically your feelings. But what the Bible tells us, the heart is the core you. It is the essence of who you are. It is the way you think. It comes out in the way you feel and desire, and it comes out in the way you act. That's your heart. Your heart determines the direction of your life. Whoever captures your heart captures you. In in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says this, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows springs of life. It is out of your heart. It's not about the things that happen around me. It's what's going on within me. And when the Bible talks about heart, it's the way you think. It's your desires. It's the choices that you make. Now, the thing about our hearts is this. Prior to Christ, our hearts are captured by our flesh. And these evil desires, these evil thoughts and evil desires and evil actions flow from my heart constantly. But what God does for us in regeneration is he gives you a new heart. You are a new creation in Christ. I've given you a new heart. And out of that heart springs godly thoughts, godly passions, godly desires. But there's a battle that happens for the rest of your life. The battle is who is in control of your heart. Jesus, um, Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh to keep you from doing the things you would ought to do. So from the moment that you were saved, there is this battle that happens. Who is going to capture your heart? Who's in control of it? Who's in control of the way you think? Who's in control of the way you feel? Who's in control of the actions that you do? 
in essence, who is the master of your life and what's the mission of your life? If you try to think about who is the master of your life and the mission of your life, inevitably, for those that struggle with depression and anxiety, we are tempted at times to have something other than Christ. And so as you find yourself captured by, is it my kingdom, my will, my way, my desires that capture me? Or is it about the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom and his thoughts and his passions that capture? The dilemma with somebody that is struggling with anxiety at times is this, that their thoughts have gone from treasuring Christ as seeing him as the only one that will ultimately satisfy them. He will find themselves focused on the things of this world. Maybe that's you. Do you ever find yourself focusing on the negatives in your perspective? That something happens, maybe somebody even gives you a compliment. And gives you a compliment and then you turn that compliment into something negative. You know, you look good today. Well, what were they saying? You know, you, you did well today. I really appreciate it. They don't really believe that. They can't possibly believe that. And so what happens is that we have this tendency in our lives to, um, over and over again, focus on something that happens in our lives and we get more and more negative. Maybe that's you. I, I know that I've been tempted towards that as well in my life. Black and white thinking. It's all or nothing. Either or. Or sometimes you just generalize. You know, um, I was talking to a young person recently who um, really was interested in this young person, this other person. And they really wanted to date this person. They asked this person out and the person rebuffed them, said no. And now they've said, you know what? Oh, my life is over. I, now, I can't ask anybody out. I'll never have a date ever again. You ever find yourself generalizing like that? It's not just teenagers that do that. It's... It's us. One person called it telescoping. I want you to think about this, where we, we take a telescope, and a telescope is supposed to look at something big and make it small so that we can see it. But what happens if I telescope on my sin or my past or my guilt, and you find yourself focusing so much on the distant past and trying to bring it to your present, and you find yourself overwhelmed with guilt and condemnation and fear. Or let's turn the telescope around and you look at the blessings of God, which are immense, and they seem so very small in your life. Maybe you live your life perfecting yourself or trying to perfect yourself. I should, I must, I'm a constant failure, I never do anything right. I don't know what your thoughts are, but what I will tell you is this. Anxiety and stress will tell you that this world is difficult, it's dangerous, it is challenging. And that is probably true. But what anxiety tells you that is false is this, that you do not have the resources to cope with it. See, the world is difficult, it's dangerous, it is challenging. But in Christ, you have the ultimate resources so where is your perspective this morning? What is capturing your heart this morning? This all or nothing thinking, the focusing on the negatives, focusing on yourself, focusing on your past, focusing on your future, or are you focusing on Christ? See, what, what Christ wants us to do is to remind ourselves day after day to look to him. This one pastor talked about a, a life of a happy Christian. I want to give you some of the perspectives of what a happy Christian could look like. 
How about a happy Christian who focuses on facts rather than their feelings? Living their life reoriented to realism. And as you're reorienting your life to realism, you are founding yourself on faith and faith in God. Stop being led by your feelings and start being led by God's truth. How many of you turn on the media and you turn on Fox News or CNN, I have no idea, two extremes, right? And you turn them on and you spend hours after hours taking in all of this negativity. You spend no time hearing God's word, no time hearing the gospel. And what happens is that you are focusing on these, these tendencies to take in this negative life. You know, on my computer, I have a spam filter. And the spam filter hasn't been working very well, so I've got to work with my uh, person on this. My spam filter has been just taking, giving me all the spam, and it's like, why is this happening? Well, the filter is supposed to filter out that garbage and only allow good stuff through. Well, what happens in your life if your spam filter is altered as well, and it's taking in all this negativity, and it's not allowing any good stuff to come through? Or you're overwhelmed with the negativity that the good stuff is missing. How about your salvation? When was the last time you celebrated in the fact that your salvation is a salvation of done? I was saying to Rich earlier, hallelujah, what is it? What a savior. How often is it that you find yourself going, hallelujah, what a savior, and praising God for what he's done? That would change your perspective on life. What would happen if you thought about this church not being something that you're getting from, but something that you can give to? That I, that I, yes, I get from you, God, and God, you, you pour your grace upon me through the musical worship. You pour your grace upon me through the preached word. You pour your grace upon me through fellowship. But you also allow me to be an instrument of your grace in your hands. I could be used here in this church. What would happen if your mindset went there? What would happen if you stopped looking backwards to all the pain and the troubles of your past and started to look forward? Instead of looking at all your failures in the past and finding greater disappointment, what would happen if you started to look forward to see what God was going to do in and through your life? What happens if you lived with hope, confident expectation that if God could raise Christ from the dead, that he could do a work in you? What happens if you started to look at individuals, even people that you don't like very much, and say, God, help me to love them. The Bible tells me I can love my enemy and pray for those who persecute me. Can you look at the individual in your life, the person that gnaws at you, and can you see that they were created in the image of God? And that God has put you in their lives for a reason that would change your perspective on life. The problems of a heavy heart, the perspective of a heavy heart leads to... The precious promises to a heavy heart. He says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. But a good word, a good word lifts him up. What kind of good word? I love this passage in Joshua chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. What would that be like if you heard God saying that to you in the midst of the troubles and the trials and the struggles that you're going through today? I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. I've given you my word. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left. And have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. 
Do not fear or be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. More than just a word that you've heard, do you believe that? And do you believe the God who said it to you? The prescription and the promises for a heavy heart come down to believing the promises of the God with you in your heavy heart. Or how about this passage? In Psalm 27, Psalm 27, love this passage. It says this, verses 1 through 3. Psalm 27, verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me and they eat my flesh and adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamped against me, my heart shall not fear. The war rises against me. Yet I will be confident. What a great passage. How about Psalm 56? In Psalm 56, another great promise to the fearful. It says, Be gracious to me, O God. For man tramples on me all day long, an attacker oppresses me. I hear stories after story, week after week, of family members and friends that are attacking people. I don't know what's happening in this world, but there is just an attack. And it it says in Scripture, as we get to the end times, fathers will turn against mothers, fathers will turn against their children, and mothers against their children, and brothers against sister, and all these things that will happen, church member against church member. What is happening in the end times is that God is showing himself real and people are rejecting him and therefore they're going to reject you. Just know it, that that's going to happen. And what the psalmist is saying is that these enemies are trampling on me day after day. But then here's the verse, verse 3. When I am afraid... I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? You've heard me say our family verse is Isaiah 41.10, another precious promise. Fear not. I am with you. Do not be discouraged. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Or Romans 8. I'm trying to memorize Romans 8. Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And the very end of it says, there's nothing that will ever separate you from the love of God. Why does God give us these precious promises? You could hear them as commands, just do. Or you could hear them as caring words from a loving father. He says, here is the counsel I give to you. Live and be free. The pain that you will go through is temporary. Now I know that when I counsel people and I give them passages of scripture from the Old and New Testament, especially the Psalms because I love the Psalms, sometimes they'll sit there and say, you know, James, over and over again I hear of deliverance, but then the doctor's diagnosis recently has not been good. Or my boss has really not been working well with me, or my spouse is really not coming to Christ right now, and, and I'm struggling. And as you look at the Psalms, they talk about this deliverance, and most of the time they tended to focus on an external, immediate enemy. But the beauty of the gospel is this. The deliverance that God is talking about primarily is not immediate, It's not earthly, it's eternal. 
that God in Christ has rescued you and he has delivered you. He may not deliver you from the disease. He may not. The reality is he may. I know some people that have been cured of cancer multiple times. And, but the reality is, is that some of us and all of us are going to die. Some of us fear death. Some of us fear losing things. Some of us fear relational things. Whatever it is that you're fearing, what I will tell you is this, that God is there. Because when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Well, what's the one thing that God wants you to focus on? He doesn't want you to focus on all the struggles that are happening. He wants you to focus on the gospel. And what does the gospel tell you? That God, before all of eternity, picked you. And before all of eternity, he set his love upon you. He planned to come to rescue you. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live the life you could never live. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die the death that you could never live. And what he did was this. He caused you to be born again. He adopted you. He forgave you. He justified you. He is put a spirit within you. He has a plan to prosper you and not to harm you. That is the God that has promised you the good news of the gospel. You are a sinner, but you've been saved by grace. You've lived under guilt, but that condemnation is gone. You are forever free. And so many people struggle with the fact that the gospel becomes just this good news that you tell a non-believer. Believers need to hear the gospel. And as you go through times of anxiety and depression, you need to go back to the cross. You need to go back to the gospel and hear the good news of grace over and over again in your life. Maybe some of the reasons why we struggle with depression is that we don't know the gospel. You need to know it. Maybe you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, so the anxieties and pressures of this life, I, I, to be honest, I don't know how a non-believer could live in this world. I don't know how you can go through all the troubles and the trials and the losses and the grief and not have an eternal perspective. I really don't know how that is. But for those of us that do know him, and I would believe the vast majority of us do know him, I pray that you be hearing the gospel preached in your mind. Read big things about the gospel and see Christ big in your life. The problem of a heavy heart, the perspective of a person going through a heavy heart, the the precious promises for those that are there that God has given you his son and he wants to rescue you. And I want to give you, closing, just some prescriptions for a heavy heart. It says here in this passage, back in Proverbs, he says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word. I really focused on this idea of good word. For some of us, we struggle with listening to the wrong people. Maybe we listen to ourselves. Maybe we listen to others. We let those thoughts dominate our lives. We need a good word. We need a good word from his word. And we need to hear God's word over and over again in your life. Do not let a day go by without feeding on the word. Jesus said it was his word that you should be eating up day after day. That his word is greater than a steak. His word is greater than a whatever you can think of that you would like to eat this afternoon. His word should be eaten up in your life. But it says a good word that you can give to yourself, but there's a good word that also comes to you from others. This is the big piece here to me. 
do I find myself putting myself around people that are giving me a good word? Do you find yourself troubled with people that are going to be taking you down? The Bible tells you bad company corrupts good morals. Do you find yourself being around people that are going to give you a good word? But I also ask you, do you tend to be a person that tends to give a person a good word? Are you a person that gives good words to others? Do you make a visit to others that you know are in need? Do you, do you send emails or texts? I know we used to do cards. I don't know if anybody even does cards anymore. We used to, we sure, huh? Card ministry. When was the last time you pulled out a card and just wrote a card to somebody and gave them a good word? Send a text of just thinking about you and praying for you. Here's a passage of scripture that I want to give to you. You know, Job's friends really messed up, to be honest with you. If you read most of Job, you're going to find how they really messed up. But what you are going to find in the beginning is that they did it pretty well. When Job was in pain, what did they do? They came to him. They listened to him. They sat down with him. They wept with him. And that's what an amazing friend can do in your life. An amazing friend can be there for you and support you and help you. Are you that kind of good friend? Hearing a good word from God's word, being a gracious word to others, sending a good message to other people, cards and letters, maybe visiting people that are in need. How often do you spend time praying for other people? You know, how often is it that you will let a person know that I'm just praying for you, I'm thinking about you? And how often is it that you actually pray for them? I've got a journal and I've got a list of people that are on my prayer journal. Do you do that? Do you take the email that gets sent out every week and you look at those people that are on there and pray for them? By doing that, anxiety in a man's heart will weigh him down, but a good word will make him glad. John Piper wrote a book, When I Don't Desire God, How to Fight for Joy. If you haven't ever read it, I would encourage you to do so. I really love the book because what the book does is this. It talks about the fact that joy is spontaneous, but joy is a work. At the moment of your conversion, joy was planted in every single one of the believers that are here. Because it's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It was planted in you. So instantaneously you have joy, but then joy is told that you have to fight for it. And that the rest of your life, you have to battle for it. So I want you to consider some ways to battle as I close. How many of you meditate on God's word day after day? You know, there's some nice devotionals that are out there, but to be honest, some of the devotionals are pretty weak, to be honest with you. A little fluff here or there, one little verse, and that's it. I read it, 10 minutes, I should be good. Good to go for the rest of my day. Somebody told me, have you ever considered that if we're called to tithe financially, how often have you considered tithing your day for God? Taking 10% of your day, 2.4 hours a day, to put yourself under God's word. Ooh. You know, Calvin used to pray four hours a day. Luther used to do the same. Paul was spent hour after hour. James, the apostle, his knees were called camel's knees because he spent so much time on his knees praying for people. 
Yet we think that we can get by with 10 minutes, five minutes, no minutes in God's word. You're going to be malnourished. Meditate on God's word. You know, meditation is a lost art today. We do not focus on much that is of eternal perspective. What I want you to do is to focus on the wonder of God. I went to the Grand Canyon with my wife and friends probably 26 years ago. And as I went to the Grand Canyon, and as I looked out at the Grand Canyon, it was, if any of you have been there, it is awe-inspiring. And as you look out, it actually doesn't even look real. And there is something that draws you to the edge, but then there is something that causes you to draw back out of fear. It's fear and awe that draw you to this thing. The Niagara Falls, we've been there a number of times, same thing. The power of the falls, and it should draw you. These are just earthly things. When was the last time you were drawn to the power of God that holds the Niagara Falls and the Grand Canyon in the palm of his hand? See him as big. Calm your spirits with the greatness of God. Focus on his glory. Find peace in him. Find your confidence in him. Find your rest in him. Meditate deeply on him. How often do you spend time preaching the gospel to yourself? One of my favorite authors, Jerry Bridges, used to say that. Preach the gospel to yourself day after day. James is a sinner. He deserved eternity in hell. God rescued him through Christ. Christ lived a perfect life, died, rose victoriously, is seated at his father's right hand, and he's interceding for me today. Preach that to yourself day after day when you are anxious and despondent. Preach the gospel to yourself. Piper gives this illustration of fighting every known sin in your life. Some of you have some habitual sins in your life that, to be honest, are weighing you down. That was what was happening with David. David had some sins that he was hiding. He wasn't speaking about. He wasn't sharing. He wasn't confessing. He wasn't repenting. If there are private sins in your life, every known sin you have to go to battle against. Because every known sin in your life is blinding you to the beauty of Christ. And if it's blinding you to the beauty of Christ, it is taking away your joy. So maybe you have a complaining spirit. Maybe you have a problem with lust. Maybe you have a problem with substance issues. Maybe you have a problem with bitterness. Maybe you have a problem with gossiping. Maybe you have a problem with anger. I don't know what your problem is, but the known sin that the Holy Spirit has revealed in your life confess it and go to war against it because it is robbing you of your joy. Share your faith. When was the last time you got an opportunity to share your faith with another believer, another person? We're looking forward, I was just talking to Tim earlier, we're looking forward to hearing great testimonies next week, Lord willing, as we go into another baptism. And as we have people who are going to give their testimonies right here, Lord willing, and they're going to talk about where they were and what God has done to rescue them and the people that were put into their lives to rescue them, that God uses you to share your faith. And when you share your faith with others, what does it do? Joy. I plant seeds and there is something that happens. I tell you, one of the good things about me being able to counsel people is that day after day, I get to tell people truth and I tell them that, but it benefits me, to be honest with you, because I hear the gospel and I see the gospel, hear the gospel, see the gospel, hear the gospel, see the gospel as I'm sharing it, I hear it, and it's helping me. 
You know, I begin my day usually with God's word, and I end my day with a great book of the faith. Right now, I am working through Systematic Theology by John Frame. 52 big chapters. But I end my day usually with that. Have you ever read a biography of a Christian saint? Have you ever read of somebody who died for their faith? Tyndale. Have you read about this man's life who who wanted to get you the Bible in the English language? Have you read of people that died so that you can hold that book in your hand? What a precious thing that they thought. They thought it was so important that you could have that book in your hand that they died for you to have it. Yet we put it aside day after day. Read stories of what people have done before you. Read Hebrews chapter 11 stories. Halls of faith, what God has done in people's lives and what God can do through people's lives. I'll end with this. Grow in the fear of the Lord. Rather than having anxieties about this world, grow in the fear of the Lord. Not dread, though that's there. When I got to the edge of the Grand Canyon, it was like, oh, that's pretty far. When you get close to God, there should be a, a transcendence that is there. Yeah, I kind of miss the big cathedrals, right? Those big cathedrals kind of give you a sense of the awe and the wonder, right? But I also want you to think of the imminence of God. He's so very close to you. He's a big God who comes down and sees each and every one of you. So when anxiety in your heart weighs you down, let the good word make you glad. My title was Profound Happiness and Lasting Joy. And some of you are saying, yeah, James, that all sounds good. I still don't have it. Fight for it. And this side of heaven, we may not get there in perfection. We won't. But that side of heaven, we will experience it. So today, I pray that you would remind us, Lord, of the problems of a heavy heart. There are so many of us today that are struggling with this heaviness. It just weighs us down, Lord. Lord, we fight it, and then we give in to it. We lose hope. We've lost contentment. All of that Christian contentment doesn't feel like it's real for some of us. So, Lord, for those that are going through the problem of a heavy heart right now, I pray that you would comfort them by your spirit and comfort them by your word. Wash over them. Fuel them. Sab their pain. Comfort their fears. Give them clarity in the midst of the chaos that's in their mind. Father, for some of us, our perspective is causing us to struggle with a heavy heart. And our perspective is is messed up because, Lord, sometimes we get so focused on earth and problems. Sometimes we get so focused on our past. Sometimes we get so focused on our sins. So much times we get so focused on other people and what they've done to us, and we miss Christ. As the writer of the Hebrews told us, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, some of us struggle with the problem 
of a heavy heart, the perspective of a heavy heart, some of us need to hear the precious promises to the heavy heart. Oh, that precious promise that you will never leave us and never forsake us. The precious promise that you are are our lover of our soul. The precious promise of your faithfulness in spite of our faithlessness. And promise after promise, help us to hear them, not just as words on a page, but truths that we can believe. And then, Father, for the prescription for our soul, help us to fight for our joy. Father, you're not just going to give it to us. We fight for it. You've given us the power of your spirit. You've given us your word. You've given us this church. But you have called us to fight. Paul said at the end of his life that I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. Help us to go down fighting, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord, take joy this morning in what you hear from us. And when we give you our praise, Lord, and you find joy in that, Lord, we find joy in that as well. Lord, may we rejoice this week in you. May we rejoice and our praise fight back against our issues, the sin in our life. May we see you as beautiful and more wonderful than anything that comes into our lives, even the good things in our lives, Lord. May you be the focus this week. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the Pastor James bringing it to us this morning. Now as we go into this week, God, we ask that you would help us to resist the enemy, 
Like James said, I know I definitely felt that after church, Lord. Absolutely, I feel like I'm good. I'm good for the week on Sunday morning. I'll be fine. And the amount of collapses that can happen on a Sunday afternoon, God. So please give us the strength, Lord. Whatever it is that we need to resist, God, give us the energy and the encouragement, Lord, to know how to resist and to speak back against the lies that come into our heads, into our thoughts that we're not good enough, that we're not worthy. We're just going to do this stuff again. All that garbage, Lord, that comes from the enemy. Help us to speak against that, Lord, and to not just speak against it using our own thoughts, but, Lord, your actual word. So help us to put that down deep inside of us, to memorize it, to look to it, and to use that to resist. Thank you for this morning, God. We ask to be with us now as we go from this place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a nice week.